welcome all of you to uh, to Cozen O'Connor for what I I hope will be a very lively, spirited, and insightful discussion uh, about the World Series. <laughs> My. My name is my name is Blake Rutherford, and I will I will introduce uh, our guests in a minute. But before I do, I want to I want to make a couple of, of recognitions. We have been talking about this presidential race for a very long time. Part of our election series. Many of you have participated in our calls. You have downloaded our podcast. You've checked out the writing and commentary that Mark and Howard and Jim have done. And, and of course, I am eternally grateful. But I do want to point out we have. Michael Heller, who's the CEO of Cozen O'Connor, and Vince McGinnis, our managing partner, both of whom are here today. I wanted to offer a, a special thanks to, to both of them. They have supported this endeavor since, since we began. They have encouraged us and certainly uh, helped us spread the word and get people engaged with it. So, guys, I want to thank you for, for, for all of that. The applause weren't in the script. Like yeah, that. right. <laughs> it's uh, we, well, we we got it worked out, Mark. We know okay. what we're doing here. More decision by <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't bring checkers to a chess match. Um, so before we get into the Q and A, you know, I was I was thinking about thinking about this race as I have done too often and too much. The same with many of you, and I was thinking about all the things that that it happened that got us from what seems like a very long time ago, and in fact it was a very long time ago, uh, to today. On March 23, 2015, Texas Senator Ted Cruz became the first major party candidate uh, to announce for president. That was more than 570 days ago. It was more than $5 billion ago. It was 21 candidates ago. Did you remember, Mark, that George Pataki ran for president? Lincoln Chafee ran for president. Your, your, <laughs> your buddy, the balladeer, Martin O'Malley, ran for president. Or for the fifth time in seven cycles, an Arkansan ran for president. We're everywhere. Jeb Bush was in it for a little while, a little bit longer than Scott Walker. Joe Biden maybe should have been in it. I suspect it would have lasted a little more than a while. But it was a long, slow descent down a mechanical staircase by a real estate mogul who would promise, among other things, to build a wall, drain the swamp, and make America great again. That felt like a long time ago. And a woman who, after declaring that women's rights are human's rights and human rights are women's rights, stood on Roosevelt Island and said, I will be the youngest woman president in the history of the United <laughs> States. It was feel the burn ago. It was 23 Bernie Ball wins ago millions of fired-up young people ago. Imagine if he hadn't said, the American people are sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails. It was lying this and little that and Lindsey Graham's cell phone number a long time ago. It was too many Republican debates and not enough Democratic debates ago. It was Marco Rubio's hands and Ted Cruz's dad and Megyn Kelly's well, <laughs> it was Cleveland after LeBron James's title and Philadelphia perhaps before Carson Wentz's title. It was Sniffles and Shimmies ago. Go Giants. <laughs> it was Sniffles and Shimmies ago. It was Larry David, Kate McKinnon, and Alec Baldwin ago. It was Mitt Romney's Stop Trump movement ago. It was Paul Ryan will stop Trump ago. It was Ted Cruz eating bacon off a machine gun it was Sticker Boy and a Taco Bowl ago. It was Donald Trump, Billy Bush, and Carly Fiorina for vice president ago. It was jubilant, frightening, hopeful, hateful, confusing, clear, frustrating, consequential, weird, Twitterific, Insta-famous, whatever Snapchat is. And on Tuesday, it'll be decided. Still, guys, every election I can't help but think about what the late legendary Hunter S. Thompson wrote in one of the best books about American politics called Better Than Sex. It's a very elegant feeling to wake up in the morning and go down to your neighborhood polling place and come away feeling proud of the way you voted. So to talk about that and more, allow me to introduce three great minds in this game and good friends of mine. Immediately to my right, Mark Alderman has advised Democratic presidential candidates from Gary Hart to Barack Obama, a national finance chairman for the 2008 and 2012 
Obama presidential campaigns. He was later a member of the 57th Electoral College, the Obama-Biden presidential transition team, and the inaugural committee. An advisor to candidates for state and federal office in Pennsylvania and across the country, he's been a fixture on the national media stage this cycle as a regular guest on the Fox Business Network and CNBC. Howard Schweitzer has served in senior positions for three American presidents, including most recently at the Department of Treasury, where he oversaw the $700 billion Troubled Asset Relief Program. A national commentator on the presidency and the 2016 election, Howard's in-depth analysis has appeared in Politico Magazine, Forbes, Fortune, as well as CNN, among many others. And finally, Jim Schultz, a veteran of the Republican Party politics in Pennsylvania. He's a former general counsel to Governor Tom Corbett, a member of House Speaker Paul Ryan's National Finance Council, and regularly advises congressional and statewide candidates for office. At the 2016 Republican National Convention, Jim served as counsel on the rules and platform negotiations and managed floor operations for the Republican nominee. A political analyst for NBC10 here in Philadelphia, you can find Jim sparring with Mark on the popular weekly segment, Political Punch-Out. That's, that's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to buffer these two. Um, guys, welcome. Thank you for being here. And again, thank all of you for coming. I want to begin, Mark, by talking about where we sit four days from this election. We will get into the polls in a minute. We will talk about get out the vote in a minute. You will predict who is going to win right here in a minute. But before we get to all that, set the stage for our discussion today. Give us your perspective on the state of the race. Not good is the state of the race, and not because one side's winning or the other side is losing. It has not been a good democratic experience, Blake. And I think uh, everyone in this room and everyone out there in the country just needs it to be over one way or another. I think the last week, has been a fitting conclusion to a campaign that did not bring out the best in America. And I am sad to have to say that, but in any other answer would would be dishonest. We we need to move on one way or another from from this experience. Jim, I wanna I wanna look at it a little bit differently from from the perspective of where the Republicans sit today. Um as you're as you're looking at at the landscape, give me a sense of the Republican Party's confidence level right now. I think we have we have 31 governorships around the country. We have large majorities in the House of Representatives in just about every state and Senate in just about every state. We have uh, obviously a very tight United States Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives. We have big leads, big big margins, but. You know, in terms of the top of the ticket, who leads the Republican Party going forward? It's a big question mark. It's going to depend what happens Tuesday. I think it's more likely than not, and we'll talk about that, that Paul Ryan continues to be the voice of this party going forward. Um, regardless of outcome of the election, I think he's going to carry the flag for the Republicans. Um, and there's going to be, if we have a Trump presidency, uh, some strife between Congress and the executive branch, which is sometimes healthy, but some I'm, I, I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not sure that it's going to be healthy for the Republican Party. Um, but I think Paul Ryan is a good leader. I think he's the guy that we need to look to going forward in terms of setting the agenda uh, for what we need to do in this country. Howard, Mark, Mark described this as really not being a particularly great moment for America. Yet, of course, we pride ourselves on on full and fair elections, peaceful transitions of power. You have participated in a number of those of those transitions, not to necessarily foreshadow the outcome, but we have heard a lot about disruption. We have heard a lot about a rigged system. We have heard a lot about voter integrity. Sort of thinking about those issues, um, What's your sense of where we are going into Election Day in terms of 
the, the sort of things we really tend to pride ourselves on, those moments of fairness, those moments of honesty, those moments of integrity, the validity of the vote, so to speak. And my view is we're, we're okay. You know, I think there's a lot of toing and froing going on and obviously a lot of dissatisfaction out there in the electorate, but I think some of this is, is very natural. It's Obviously, you mentioned the, the TARP experience, which was personal to me, but real for people across this country. And it's been front and center throughout the campaign, and I think what we are seeing is the continuation of the natural political workout of not just the financial crisis, but all the way back to 9-11, multiple wars. People are um, not particularly happy, and, and an economy that is growing, but very, 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 very slowly. And, and so I think the populism with Bernie, the populism with Trump, and the dissatisfaction in the electorate is all very natural and, and has to work itself out. And I think that's what we're going through, and it'll come to an end, and we'll move on. You know, Mark, you were intimately involved in, in both the 2008 and 2012 elections, and we are talking a lot today, as we, as we do every, every cycle, about enthusiasm. The, whether there is enthusiasm among, among the electorate and then what it means when we talk about enthusiasm. Interestingly enough, we, if you look at where enthusiasm sits today, Donald Trump has an advantage. He's up about 52-47 in terms of who's more enthusiastic uh, today. Overall, though, only 49% of the electorate is, is enthusiastic. Compare that to 2012 when 62% of the electorate was excited. Young people, we've talked a lot about young people in this election. We'll talk a lot, a little bit more about that today in the context, in the context of the map. 18 to 34-year-olds, the enthusiasm's down 16% against 2012. Um, characterize, Mark, for, for me, if you will, enthusiasm, what does it mean? Does it matter? Well, I think, Blake, that it matters, but I think it's the wrong word. I think enthusiasm is overrated in an election. I would use the word determination. How determined are a candidate's supporters to vote? And I think that there is on both sides a tremendous determination to vote, not necessarily to vote enthusiastically, but this election has quite obviously driven each side to the extreme, extreme of determination to deny the other the office of president. And I think you have a pretty determined electorate. I, I do not think that the turnout issues that are being predicted here and there here, in Philadelphia specifically and elsewhere, I, I don't expect that to be the problem. I think people are determined to go out. They're just determined to go out to keep the other one from being president. Howard, it, it is interesting because we have, we have for the past two cycles heard so much about, and now it's become sort of a, a tagline for both sides, hope and change, right? We talked about hope and change in 2008. Uh, we talked about, in some ways, hope and change again in 2012. We are not talking about hope and change Today we are talking about, to Mark's point, um, save, save me from the other. Whether you are a a Hillary Clinton supporter and afraid of what a Trump presidency means, or if you are a Republican, I, I don't mean to characterize that and to say that not every Republican is a Trump supporter, but he's built an interesting constituency, which I'll talk about in a minute. But if you're a Republican, you are you are certainly mindful of the challenges that you see a Hillary Clinton administration administration bring. What do you think that does to the American psyche? I mean, we are we are not we are not voting for something right now. It seems like we are voting against yeah. something. And a friend of mine says you always want to run to something, not from something, and that's clearly not this this election. Um, and it. I think it has people down. It has people nervous. You can't walk into a restaurant and order a meal without hearing somebody at the next table talking about about the election, and it's it's weighing on people. Um, and I think, look, it's this is not hope and change, like you said. She is the embodiment of the status quo. He is the exact opposite. 
and he's certainly not running a campaign that anyone could describe as, as hopeful. Um, so it, it's damaging, but again, as I said earlier, I think this is a very resilient nation, and we're going we're gonna to pull out of it and move on. It's, Jim, I want to I sort of pivot um, now to the map, and we, we have a battleground map up, up on the screen, which gives you a sense of, of, of where the race looks like. Which you... we can see in the window. Oh, yeah, great. <laughs> which is kind of the right metaphor for this whole election. Right. You sort of see it, but it's not that clear. <laughs> that it's back it's out there somewhere. It's not far away. Yeah. Yeah, not quite sure which state is which color. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Jim, 22 million people have already cast their vote. 34 states have early voting. Um, a couple of states, which it's pretty interesting. I don't know if any of you uh, have voted by absentee in Pennsylvania. You, can, you can't vote early in Pennsylvania, of course, but you can vote by absentee. Um, and if you vote by absentee in Pennsylvania, you can on election day go to your polling place and change your vote if you would like. Um, so when Donald Trump says actually you can change your vote in Pennsylvania, he's not he's not making a mistake. He actually got that one right. Um, but 22 million people have voted in, in 34 states, and then depending on what we know about absentees, um, let's talk about the map. Let's talk about um, what states really, from the Republican perspective you're focused on where's Trump going to spend his time and, and what resources he has left, do you think? The important toss-up states, of course, Florida and Ohio, and that's where he, you know, we need to shore up. He needs to shore up Florida and Ohio. Uh, Pennsylvania is a place that's been lost for Republicans for years. I'm not sure why there are so many resources being poured into Pennsylvania from you're here. either candidate at this point <laughs> in time. But we haven't won the the top of the ticket in Pennsylvania since 1988. I suspect that's not going to change in this cycle. Um, oh, Iowa is another state that's very important. And North Carolina is a big question mark. And I think that's going to be kind of the state that determines this election at the end of the day, that in New Hampshire. So right now, internal polls and some of the external polls has it neck and neck in North Carolina with a slight lead for Hillary Clinton. Same thing in New Hampshire. Uh, you also have governor's <coughs> races and Senate races up up in those states, and they're tremendously competitive, neck and neck, slight leads for the Republicans in those in those seats. So I think it's really going to come down to those two states. I think Trump can get the 252 with the states we just described. Getting to that 270 uh, is going to be tough unless he can pull out North Carolina and New Hampshire. Mark, I want to talk about I want to talk about North Carolina. And I want to talk about Pennsylvania. Um, I want to start in North Carolina, which we have been talking about a lot in this election. Um, it is a state that Mitt Romney carried in in 2012, that has seemed to be trending up until about two weeks ago uh, for Hillary Clinton. Early voting numbers in in North Carolina suggest that African American turnout is down about 16 percent. White turnout is up about 15 percent. Um, in Pennsylvania, we we have seen we have seen the state pretty much level out. Three new polls came out over the last couple of days showing Hillary plus four plus four plus five, um, and the Real Clear Politics average still has held fairly steady. Uh, what do you make about those two states in particular? And we're paying a lot of attention to them, so I wanted to get your perspective. Well, Pennsylvania is easy. She's going to win Pennsylvania. I think Jim agrees with that. Happy to talk about it. Not necessary. North Carolina, however, is a lot harder to call. Uh, Governor Romney did win it, although I just you have to indulge me. A very quick story. So the battleground states director for the Obama campaign in 2012, a guy named Jeremy Bird. I'm in his office on election day, around noon. He has his head in his hands, and I say, that's not good. What's going on out there? Because you walked into his office. Uh, well, that did it. And he, yeah, I think his head was down first, but I don't remember. It's still hazy. Your story. And I said to him, uh, yeah, so his head was definitely down first. He looked up and he said, do you know Blake Rutherford? Yeah. And that was about every time. And I said, yeah. and he said, that's why I have a headache. <laughs> yeah. but, yeah. but, uh, in a lot of people can relate. Blake 
What do you think, Jeff? In addition to Blake giving me a headache, he, he said, no, 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 we're fine. We won. We won. And I said, well, the head in the hands, it's not just Blake. Or and he said, I'm so pissed off. If Messina hadn't pulled the money out of North Carolina, we would have won that too. So I said to him, that's way too intense for me right now. So we, if we won, we won, and, and good for us. But North Carolina was very, very close very, very close in 2012. It has been trending bluer, purpler in the last four years. <clears throat> I think it is going to be very close again. I think Hillary Clinton wins North Carolina. I think she is banking votes even as we speak. I think that the, the reports of a suppressed uh, African-American turnout are exactly that. Jim's colleagues in the North Carolina legislature and state uh, house did all they could to suppress early voting. But again, I'm coming back to the same word. And if I'm wrong about this word, then I'm wrong about these numbers. I think people are determined in North Carolina to vote. I do not think you will see by the end of uh, Tuesday any less African-American voting, it's just harder for them because of some changes that were made in early voting. And I think she's going to win North Carolina, and I think that's going to be all she wrote. Without North Carolina, Donald Trump isn't the president. Yeah, I think there's a, uh, especially in North Carolina and some of the battleground states, people want to vote for something. We talked about that earlier. And I think enthusiasm does matter. I know Mark talked about determination. I think enthusiasm matters for that reason. Why am I going to the polls to vote when I've seen this disaster that's unfolded over the last, you know, Do not underestimate the determination of African Americans in North Carolina and everywhere to go out and vote for the president, yeah. who is not by name on the ballot, but might as well be. Among African Americans, Hillary Clinton leads 83 to 2. So, 2? 2. That's a lot. It's two. Yeah. yeah. But it's two. So Howard, I, I, I wanna I wanna I wanna in the context of this map and, and unfortunately I've got to do it and I'm and I'm sorry to do it. Um we gotta talk about these emails. So um <laughs> because so, I made you. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Um yeah. there are two guys up here. Right, exactly. Desperate to talk about it. So after after the FBI director's letter uh, data tells us that eight in ten Americans heard about that story. Uh, of that group, six in ten voters say it's going to make no difference in, in how I vote on Election Day. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, one in ten voters say that they're likely to change their mind before Election Day. Um, so we'll get to turnout in a minute. Yeah. But I do want, in the context of this map, um, what significance do you attach to that development, to this news cycle? Been a tough couple of weeks for Hillary Clinton since, if you just consider it from a headline perspective. What do you make about that in the context of the electoral map? Well, I think you have to look at demographics. A place like Florida, uh, where there's a significant older population, um, as compared to other places where the millennials may be more important. The Snapchat generation, you yeah, asked what Snapchat that. is earlier. Yeah. I don't think they care about disappearing emails because that's how they yeah. uh, communicate. So, um, and Bernie said it, tired of hearing about your damn emails. Uh, so, look, I, I think it, it absolutely has tightened the race. We can all see that. We're all hearing that <coughs> every day. Um, her lead has been cut in half nationally. And in some polls have it even or him even ahead. Um, the polling is all over the place. It's all over the place in the individual states. It's all over the place in Florida and North Carolina and Nevada. I think, uh, I think he's going to win Florida. I think he's going to win Ohio. And it's pretty remarkable, given the importance of those two states, that he's going to win those two states, in my opinion, and lose the election. I don't think he can flip Colorado. I don't think he can flip New Hampshire. He has to flip one of those states, and then he'd have to win North Carolina. Yeah. And I don't think he's or, going to. Or flip and Iowa. Or Michigan. And he's going to win Iowa. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and the other yeah. one, the swings, the Michigan is gone. Colorado, I believe you're right, is gone. 
Um, gone for the Republicans. Gone for the Republicans. Wisconsin's gone. We're not getting those states. Yeah, that's yeah. why I think it comes down to those two. Yeah. Well, you, you got your Razorback Red on today, Jim, which is good. He's going he's gonna to win Arkansas by about 100, so yeah. that, that'll be good for you. I want to talk about – Blake, I wouldn't brag about that. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, well, sometimes we get it wrong. How Rarely. Yeah, right. That's, after the World Series, we'll talk about Razorback football. I know y'all are excited. Okay. Um, before I, this runs all the way off the rails, uh, Jim, I want to talk about I want to talk about GOTV, and I want to talk about I want to talk about data, because as we saw in 2008 and 2012, there was a significant effort by Barack Obama to invest heavily in data, in voter targeting, um, and in analytics. Uh, this election, by all accounts, Hillary Clinton has attempted to improve upon that model. Donald Trump has said time and again, I don't care about polls, I don't care about data, none of that really matters to me. And in some ways, you feel free to disagree with me, but, but I, I think he said that a couple of times. But anyway, Today in the New York Times, Jim Messina, Mark, Mark's friend and, and whom Mark referenced, who ran Barack Obama's, um, Barack Obama's 2012 campaign, um, wrote in the New York Times, today campaigns can target voters so well they can personalize conversations. That's, that is the only way when any candidate asks about the state of the race to offer a true assessment. Hillary Clinton can do that. To my knowledge, Donald Trump, who has bragged that he doesn't care about data and campaigns, can't. What do you make of Trump's GOTV effort, which by all accounts is Twitterific, it's Insta-famous, it's whatever else is happening um, on our phones, but it is not data-centric. Uh, do you see any correlation uh, to outcome based on his lack of investment in what now seems to be the modern campaign? So I ran a field operation for Bush Cheney in Pennsylvania here in 2004, and that was the first time micro-targeting that you mentioned was used and used effectively in that race. And we got our butts kicked in 2008 and 2012 in that area because they they took what the Democrats took what we had what we had used in 2004 and put it on steroids and did a fantastic job <coughs> of getting to their voters. Uh, it does matter. It matters about, in a state like Pennsylvania, could be two to three points at the end of the day is what turnout can do. Again, some of that goes into are we reaching out to our voters, we're going to get them to the polling places, we're calling them, we're hitting with email, Twitter, all, all the different things that we can reach out to voters uh, with in terms of social media and, and direct voter contact, mail still, people are still using mail. But I think that Donald Trump, captured something in the primary and continues to do it in places like western Pennsylvania where he's getting Democrats all fired up to come out for him because of the, you know, the coal and oil and gas industry so important. West Virginia, which was traditionally a Democratic state, now turned Republican, has a good shot at having a Republican governor and a Republican state house and Senate. Um, I think he has used the news media to his advantage in such an effective way that while targeting does matter in the places where he's ginning up votes. I think he's done a good job using social media and just the news, the news media generally to gin up his, his voters. But he's lost his message, I think, largely in the general election. I mean, he, he's talked all primary season about the polls, and the polls haven't been in his favor, so he hasn't been able to go out and run on being the most successful person in the history of the universe. Um, he just just in general he he he's not self-funding his campaign anymore, <coughs> which really took away I think a narrative about not being owned by people in Washington, right. and and I think um, aside from the kind of nuts and bolts of the campaign, he's fundamentally lost his message. I think he spent money. He hasn't spent enough. Well, he hasn't spent money and resources either, like anyone else has done. He's virtually ignored it and used, you know, the national news media to get his message out, not just 
you know, in the last few weeks, you're seeing more and more commercials. Before that, you weren't seeing anything. Hillary Clinton and all of his opponents in the Republican primary just beat the heck out. Yeah, Mark, I want to I want to accentuate anecdotally. You, I don't want to get too much in the weeds on this, but I think because we're talking about it so much, and and I want to get a sense from you all about what you think the campaigns are thinking today. But I want to I want to I want to read you, Mark, something else that 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 Jim wrote and, and get your reaction to it, which is campaigns have entered the era of little data. Huge data sets are often less helpful in understanding an electorate than one or two key data points. For instance, what issue is most important to a particular undecided voter? With little data, campaigns can have direct, highly personalized conversations with voters, both on and offline, like an ad on a voter's Facebook page addressing the issue the voter is passionate about. In 2016, we see that online political engagement rates, especially for young voters, are at a historic high. This is why campaigns no longer pay much attention to public polls, which often use conversations with just a few hundred people to make predictions about the entire electorate. Getting a truly representative sample has become ever more difficult because of the growing percentage of households with only cell phones, the number of voters who prefer to speak a language other than English, and the difficulty in contacting younger voters who generally don't have landlines. You have some experience with this. I have some experience with this. I think we're going to find out. Yeah. We're going to find out if it matters <coughs> as much as it always did. Jim said from his own personal experience it used to be worth two, three points in Pennsylvania. Maybe with Trump being the phenomenon that he is and social media being a partial substitute for the ground game, maybe it's only worth a point, but a point is a lot. And if it's tied and the ground game's worth a point, she wins. But the sophistication of the ground game is something not to be believed unless it's been seen and felt. Uh, my, my story, Blake, was alluding to uh, some experience with this. So, again, in 2012, I asked the guys out in Chicago who were doing the data, can I see my voter file? <laughs> They had a file on me that had 2,000 bits of data, most of which I had forgotten had even happened to me in my life. But the most amazing, and this is what is going on in the next five days here, the most amazing was they knew where I stopped to buy my coffee, Gladwin Coffee, on my way in in the morning, Michael, and they were prepared because they the guy there was one of them. They were prepared to have somebody ask me the last four days, are you going to vote? Are you going to vote? Did you vote? Did you vote? That's the level of personal touch that is happening all over the country, well, all over the battleground states right now. It's, it's, worth, it's worth something. And the if this is as close as it's starting to feel, that ground game could be the difference maker. This, this cake was baked eight years ago. Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton cut a deal. The Clintons stood down. She became Secretary of State, and he agreed that he would help her try to get elected well, this wait, year. I'm sorry, but first he beat her. Yeah. After that, yeah. After that, they cut. And, and she inherited the um, Obama election apparatus. That's why she's going to be the next president of the United States. Jim, I want to yeah. talk about. I want to talk about the role of of the president in 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 this election. Um, he has a fifty three percent job approval rating. Um, he, now. Yeah, today. When it um, matters. And, and I want to talk about in the context of Michelle Obama too, who I, who, you know, not not to editorialize here, but I think has really, really been an impactful surrogate, um, perhaps even to a degree that I don't think would surprise Mark, but maybe maybe surprised other people. I think her beginning with her convention speech and then with with arguably I think two of the most important speeches of the entire general election came from her and not him. But Jim, I want to talk about the relationship of the president. You worked for, you worked, you worked for Bush. We've seen the, the relationship. We saw it in 2000 with the challenges of President Clinton, Al Gore, and what that meant. Um, what do you make of of Obama standing and any correlation that voters are going to have to the Obama years when they walk in to their polling place? 
So let's use Philadelphia, for example. In 2004, the, I believe there was about 540,000 people voted for John Kerry. In 2008, about 600,000 people voted for Barack Obama. That drops down to about 560 in 2012. So some of that is fatigue. Some of that is second term. Some of it is people thought that he was going to win. But I think Barack Obama coming and standing in Philadelphia may have this much impact on turnout here, but just about this much. I think you're going to see, you know, Democrat votes, my prediction in this city, right around 550, 555, somewhere between 2004 and 2012, but not the 600,000 votes that you saw coming out in 2008. People were energized that year. And the micro-targeting was one thing in terms of turnout, but you don't have to micro-target here in Philadelphia. You're just knocking and dragging and people getting people out to the polling places. And you didn't even have to do much of that in 2008. They were coming. I think there has to be a more sophisticated operation here in the city for her to get the votes that uh, she to, to get the votes that Barack Obama got. I don't think it's possible for her to do that. For that reason, I believe that the margin in this state, 2008, 10-point win for Barack Obama, about a four or five-point win I think in 2012. I think it was, and it, and it was a it was a two-point race, one to two-point race in 2004. I think we're going to be somewhere between 2004. In 2012 on that as well in terms of state. So that's how I answer that question, right? What, what can Barack Obama do to impact the election in Pennsylvania? Come here and try to get people to turn out, but she's not Barack Obama. Howard, I want to talk about the, the role of the economy in this race. Um, and the, you, you noted it earlier that economic recovery has been slow. Yeah. Um, we have talked a lot about income inequality. We have talked a lot about um, about the, the need for um, further investment. Hillary Clinton talking about putting hundreds of billions of dollars into infrastructure, for example. Republicans talking about tax reform as a way to grow the economy. Um, you certainly have a lot of experience with this. Um, what, talk about the relationship that you think the economy has on voter preference, on voter attitudes, and, and what comes next. I think at the end of the day, people fundamentally um, vote their, their wallets. And it comes down to individual views about where they, about, about their personal level of security. And it, it goes back to the president's approval rate. I mean, the, the economy is better. It's not robust, but it's better. <coughs> it's one of the best in the world. Um, and I think people do feel certainly better than better off economically overall than they than they did eight years ago, um, which I think is why the president's approval rating is north of 50 percent and why Hillary's going going to win. Going forward, I see the economy as as the the rallying cry for the next president for Hillary. Um, I think it's a way for her to come in and orient her administration in a way that brings people together because, I mean, look, it's going to be, assuming it's her, it's going to be a very challenging presidency from a partisan perspective in terms of investigations and email. It's all going to continue. But if we can get the economy moving, and it's something that everybody should be able to, uh, to agree on as a macro priority, that brings the country together and makes people feel pretty darn good. So that's my view. And I think on that, on the other side of that, where Trump is popular, western Pennsylvania, portions of Kentucky, places like West Virginia, folks in those areas are hurting, right? So it's, it's a pocketbook election for them as well. Yeah. That's why they're so driven to come out and vote. Just not enough of them. Yeah. yeah. So I, we have not yet talked about, but there is a relationship here. Jim, you alluded to it. In, in some of your comments, there is a relationship here between what this map means and what it means for the United States Senate. Um, and I want to show people before we come back, and I'm going to let you, let you guys tell us who's going to win, but this is what the Senate map looks like. Um, and we have a number of races, including one here in Pennsylvania, Jim, that I know you're, 
you're in, well, well, a lot of people are involved with. Um, but I thought, Jim, you might just sort of characterize for us um, what what you see in the in the context of of the Senate map, and then I'm gonna let Mark give the give the Democratic perspective. <laughs> well, and it comes down to the to uh, the states we've been talking about all along, right? It's the it's where the governor's races are up. It's where the Senate races are up. It's Indiana. It's North Carolina. It's New Hampshire. Pennsylvania. All of those are even races by all accounts when it comes to the governor's races, when it comes to the Senate races. I mean, heck, there's even a governor's race that's a, that it looks like we may have a Republican governor in Vermont. I mean, it's just a crazy year. But in terms of the Senate races, I think um, the one thing I think that the Comey uh, letter did was kind of I think that helps the Republicans in terms of retaining the Senate. I don't know how much it's going to make a difference at the top of the ticket in the presidential, but I think it matters for retaining the Senate. Mark, what do you think about the Senate? Well, I think it has gotten tighter, as Jim's saying. I think the Comey letter is going to help the Republican challengers or incumbents, depending on where you're talking about. But I, I have thought all along something that I still think, notwithstanding emails and Director Comey and the rest. I think elections break one way more than another. States are correlated. You don't usually see somebody doing great in uh, in Pennsylvania and terrible in Ohio or the other way around. And I've thought all along whoever won the White House was going to win the Senate. I still think whoever wins the White House is going to win the Senate. And I think you're going to see that the top of the ticket and the next line on the ballot, the Senate, are are running really close. I think that's what the recent controversy has done. I think it tightened up the gap between the top of the ticket and the Senate candidates. So I don't expect the Electoral College, I know we're coming to this, but I don't (laughs) expect the Electoral College to be 270, 268, and I don't expect the Senate to be 50-50. I think it, and it could go the wrong way, as I see it, (laughs) but it's going to break one way or another. That's how elections work. You know, Howard, it's, it's interesting because there's, there's data, there's data coming out of Florida, not entirely sure how reliable it is, that roughly 28% of registered Republicans who have, who have gone to vote in Florida are voting for Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. which certainly suggests the possibility that ticket splitting is real. Yep. Um, I wanted to get your perspective on whether you sense that this could be a ticket split election. Could we have um, a desire among the electorate to elect Hillary Clinton and then elect a Republican yeah. Senate as a check. And there are turnout operations. We talked earlier about Trump's mm-hmm. lack of a, of a get-out-the-vote operation, but there are organizations like those funded by the, the Koch brothers that are turning out the vote for Republicans down ballot and not helping Trump. So I think that can really impact the ticket splitting and will. I think the Republicans are going to keep the Senate. I didn't think that two weeks ago, but I think the emails are really impactful down ballot. And in places like North Carolina and Missouri, where you've got Republican senators and New Hampshire, where you've got Republican senators that are incumbents, I think it helps them and, and they pull it out. What do you think the final tally in the Senate is on, on Election Day? I think 51, 49 are. What's the surprise That's rate? the right tally. It's just the wrong way. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to you in a minute. Well, I'm trying to help them. <laughs> and by the way, by the by the way, if it turns out to be 50-50 with the Clinton presidency, they've got to run. Yes, but there's a special election in Virginia. In Virginia, next November. Yeah. So everything is going to get punted forward. So 50-50 is a very short-term victory. Right. Jim, what do you so, think the final outcome? Does our friend uh, Jason Kander win? I don't think so. Missouri. That's how you get to your wrong yeah. number. 
Jim, what do you think the final outcome is? I think we win in Indiana. I think we win in Pennsylvania. We being the Republicans. The Republicans win in Indiana, win in Pennsylvania. I know Mark's going to disagree with me on that. But I, I, <laughs> that number we just talked about, that three-point, four-point race here in Pennsylvania, um, Toomey's going to run far ahead of of Trump in Pennsylvania, enough ahead that he wins. Uh, if it's a seven- or eight-point race here in Pennsylvania at the end of the day, at the top of the ticket, it becomes much more difficult for Toomey. But if it's in that sweet spot where a lot of people think it's going to be. And remember, four points is a landslide in Pennsylvania, yeah. typically. Right. Right. So if it's three to four points here, Toomey can still run ahead of that. Any Mark? 51-49-D, I think that we're going to win here. I think we're going to win in Indiana. I think we're going to win in Wisconsin. I think we're going to win in Illinois. I think we're going to win in New Hampshire. And I think we are going to win in Missouri with Jason Kander, who did run the best political ad yeah. ever, as Howard points out. You have to just go to YouTube, put in Jason Kander. Gun ad. Gun ad. <laughs> You've never seen anything like this in your life, which Phenomenal. is why he is going to win that ad, I think, alone is going to do it. We're going to lose Nevada. We're going to lose Harry Reid's seat, and that's why the net pickup uh, is going to be 5 not 6 <laughs> So 54-46 today, so it's it's plus four in the White House or, or plus five. Well, but 51-49, then you'd a lot rather have Tim Kaine as vice president than Mike yeah. Pence, but, but it's still 51-49. Before we come back to your presidential predictions, I did want to open up um, our discussion. If anyone has questions or comments, um, I'm a B-minus moderator, so... You can probably do better than me. Yes, sir. Ohio, which I am mesmerized about, you have a governor who is very popular there who voted a write-in ballot, and that got very little national news. Kasich voting for John McCain. Correct. Um, Why is Ohio not following him? Mark, what do you think? Well, Ohio is hurting, and Ohio is home, as Jim was saying, uh, Michael, to a lot of angry white men and some angry white women, too. And it is just demographically fertile ground for Trump. I think what has happened in Ohio that pisses me off, just for the record, is is Howard's not getting enough credit in in Ohio. Howard and TARP did the auto bailout. The president won Ohio four years ago because of the auto bailout. And there's a really, there's an amnesia thing going on all this time around. The D's are getting no credit for that. And I think that's that's how Obama won and, and how Hillary was. And it's a binary choice. I mean, we've got two people running, and you have to pick. At the end of the day, you really obviously you can write somebody in, but people are going to pick one of the two. And she's a really, really, really bad candidate. Yeah. And I think you're seeing the same phenomenon along the border of Pennsylvania and Ohio, and it's just bleeding over, right? You have the strong Democratic portions of Pennsylvania that bleed over into Ohio, it's oil, it's gas, it's energy, all that matters. And then you have the little corner down there in West Virginia, and that matters there as well. So I think that's that's what's driving it. It's industry and, and the lack thereof. Yes, sir. Um, it, it sounds like none of you think that it's possible, but I'm wondering if you could talk about the possibility of uh, polls being meaningfully inaccurate this year because people don't want to tell the truth to pollsters about who they're supporting. So, Howard, do you want to start with that one? I think it is. I think they are under-polling Trump, but, but not enough. And I think more people have come out as of late and been willing to acknowledge, uh, particularly in light of some of the problems she's had, um, their support for Trump as opposed to her. So. I think there are people who, I think, are hiding their vote, but just not enough. No, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> Jerry. Today is Thursday. What's going to come out between Friday and Saturday? 
All of Mark's emails. Yeah, yeah. It'll be my emails. God forbid. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a Martian landing somewhere on the continental United States. You know, I, who knows, is the only honest answer. But but I will say this, and I think Jim being an old campaign hand will will maybe agree with this. It's very, very late for whatever comes out next to influence the election. First of all, you've had millions and millions of people voting. And 40%. It'll be 40% by election day. And also the yeah. ph- the phenomenon, you saw it with this Comey <coughs> abomination would be my word for it. But in the initial shock of a disclosure, the numbers don't move that much. Everybody's kind of frozen. It takes a little while for the reaction to set in. I don't mean to show up in the polls. That's obviously a function when the question's asked. Just for the reaction itself to set in. And I've always thought, I've always been told by the pros like Jim in these campaigns, that when you go to bed Thursday night before the Tuesday election, it doesn't matter what happens except turnout. It's all about and only about turnout. That's all the campaigns are focused on right now. It's the 72-hour plan, 48-hour plan, a 24-hour plan. Well, how are we getting our voters to the polling places? How are we getting them to vote early? How can we, you know, it's, it's taking that micro-targeting and the voter profiles and putting it to work and putting it to work in a very aggressive manner. And Mark's right. It's not going to make a hill of beans difference uh, what happens between Thursday and Tuesday at this point, short of somebody being carted off in handcuffs. Possible. Okay. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I've got the mic anyway. Given, and I'm hoping we go Democrat, but given the tenor of the Republicans' race under Trump's leadership, you know, we had a church burning yesterday where they were quite happy to write vote Trump on the outside. The level of racism, the level of sexism, the level of anti-immigrant I would never expect Trump, even in the White House, to turn around and do anything to fix that. So who would we look to then in this country to start repairing the incredible violence that has been perpetrated, the damage done in personal relations with people? Where are we going? Because I don't see Ryan standing up to Trump either. Where would you see that coming from? Yeah, Jim, I mean, you had, you had alluded to, to, to this in terms of, and I think it's, it's a question that, that, we didn't, that we didn't get to, but to think about what is next for the Republican Party and where does that leadership really come from if there is a pivot away from Donald Trump, assuming he loses the election on Tuesday. So he loses the election on Tuesday, and you have Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House. Let's assume we've got a very close Senate, um, but Paul Ryan's still going to have that overwhelming majority in the House, I believe, and by, by all accounts, I think the, the polling is showing that. But I think he does have that ability to kind of take control of the Republican Party, move it forward, set an agenda, uh, work, and, I, and I believe that agenda is going to be centered around tax reform. We're going to get away from talking about a wall. We're going to get away from talking about some of the, the, the issues that kind of divide this country and talk about tax reform and putting people back to work and infrastructure the on, the, on the, and the economy and putting people back to work by building roads, bridges, and rail and uh, multimodal and putting people back to work in those industries. And that's when, you know, our, our leaders will get back to governing. governing. Howard? Assuming my view is right and Hillary is the next president, I think this is something that only a president can really do. And... Look, I, I think all of those aspects that you, you mentioned of, that have come along with his, his candidacy are horrible. Um, I think she needs to walk back her comment about deplorables, because not everybody supporting Donald Trump <laughs> for president is deplorable. Um, <laughs> He said half the best. <laughs> <laughs> so high by a couple it's, of percent. It's not half. We, I mean, we, we got almost an hour before the word deplorables was used. I mean, look, it's, it's, the, it's the depressed economic areas of the country where people are willing to listen to Trump because they need, they need help. And she's got to walk that back because it was painting with too broad of a brush 
and pull people forward. And she's not necessarily – I mean, I think she will be a good president, a better, much better president than a candidate. She's not necessarily the person I would pick as the embodiment of the status quo to do that kind of pulling people together, but only the president can do it. And, and if she does it the right way, I think she can. Yeah. I have a little different view. I think we're done – waiting for a savior to come rescue us from all of this. I think it's up to the American people. And I think the American people are going to wake up Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whenever we know who the next president is, and they're going to carpool, and they're going to go back to work, and they're going to go bowling or wherever they go on Friday night. And they're going to stop yelling at each other. I think that the temperature gets turned way down when we finally get past this. Yes, President Clinton, I hope, has to do what she can. I think you are exactly right about walking back the deplorables comment. But at the end of the day, it's up to all of us, and it's up to our neighbors and our brother-in-law and everybody else to just take a deep breath and take a step back and just say, what the, what was that? <laughs> and, you can use and that word. Gonna, yeah, and, and let's, let's just get back to living in the uh, United States. I, I think that is going gonna, is gonna to happen. There are always going to be deplorables on both sides, on every side of everything. But we had them before this election. This, this election has just awful as it's been, didn't in fact create all of that anger and the violence even out there. And and we just got to go back to where we were before we did this. I think you're still going to see, you know, that it's, it's not going to be a, a cakewalk for a Clinton administration because you're still going to have Gowdy and the Oversight Committee. You're still going to hear about your emails and you're still going to hear about the foundation, yeah. and there's going to be hearing after hearing after hearing, and become part of the sausage making in Washington and what they can try to get and what, and what they can try to accomplish as a, you know, as an executive and a legislative branch. I think at well some point in time, the American people are going to want the president <coughs> and the Congress to work together, uh, because if Ryan's belief is the same as Clinton's, then they have some common ground to move the economy. But let's spread the discussion out a little bit more. We have more to worry about than just what happens in the continental United States. Uh, there's so much going on that's not great in the rest of the world. The entire Middle East, in Turkey, in, in Syria, Iraq, Jordan, uh, Lebanon, Israel, etc. And you have the very aggressive two dictators, Vladimir Putin and uh, Kim Jong-un. So talk, talk about what's next in the wider world. United States defense, war, relations abroad. What's your thoughts in the next I'm presidency, depending on whoever you think is going to win? I have to agree that it's going to be Hillary Clinton, but just talk about that as impactful on us as a country. Well, I think I'll, I'll take a first stab. I think the world is freaking out about the prospect of a Trump presidency because and we don't, it's hard to see this every day, but the entire world watches every single thing this country does. Our election is front page news everywhere. Everything these people say is dissected. And so first order of business is everybody can calm down, assuming it's Hillary, and, um, and, and that's, that's one thing. She's She's going to be. She's going to have a different foreign policy than Barack Obama. She's going to be much more aggressive in places like the Middle East, friendlier toward Israel, tougher, I think, on Russia. And and we're going to see we're going to see a shift. Um, you know, in, in Europe they consider her to be a neocon. So it's it's a very different. It's going to be a very different presidency. And I think I think. Domestically, she will be somewhat more progressive than people expect her to be, but internationally, globally, I think she'll use her 
moderation and even um, hawkishness to kind of cover that um, with people here at home. So that's what I see. We have time for one more question. Yes, sir. Vince. Uh, a, a comment and a, and a question. Please. Uh, first comment, I think on behalf of Michael and myself and everyone at the firm, you guys made this absolutely Thank terrific. You. Really appreciate <laughs> Thank it. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe not. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess my question for Howard and for Mark, you know, this election cycle and everything about it has been really crazy. Do you think that has any impact on people's selection of stocks and stockings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that the people who can't handle the pressure are going with color and <laughs> because it distracts them from what they're afraid of. Guys who can just walk down the middle of the road and deal with it, you know, we don't need any of that. So I think that's Howard's view as well. That's definitely my view. Yeah. All right, well, let's wrap this. <laughs> that's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Just Marshall. Um, I, I, I get it. I, I get it. I've, I've got no response, none whatsoever. Um, so, all right, let's 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 wrap this up. Let's predict this race, uh, Jim. Let's start with you. Who wins the electoral college, and what's the tally? I say I think it's two fifty two Trump, and I think the reason for that is bathrooms in North Carolina. At the end of the day, I think that was the defining moment for this election cycle. Is that bathroom issue in North Carolina tanked the Republican Party there, and that's why he's going to have a hard time uh, getting to two seventy. If they can turn North Carolina, it's a whole different ball game. If they can, it's 252, and that's a ceiling. Howard, I'm there too at 252. Yeah, yeah. Trump caps at 252. Yep, yep. he takes it. Mark, well, I obviously counted wrong because I have Trump at 250 for the exact same reason. So I'll go back and find my two votes. But he can have them. Trump 252. Have a, have a good time. So Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton becomes uh, the next president of the United States. Our first female president. And, um, the, and the youngest female and the youngest president. female president, <laughs> but Blake, um, so much depends on the right. Senate as far as appointments. It's, look, we've got a Supreme Court vacancy, right? So I think it's as important to watch the way the Senate breaks on election night as it is to watch what happens at the top of the ticket. Yes, sir. But if you guys are right, Hillary wins. How does Trump react? Oh. <laughs> Starts Trump TV and tries to make a lot of money, grab more money, right? That's I mean, right. That's it. Yeah. Maybe you might make some real money yeah. as opposed to fake money. <laughs> we'll see. Well, guys, as, as, as always, and as I conclude every one of our calls, thank you very much. It is a great privilege to be with you. I want to I thank everybody who's been on the phone. We've been, we've been broadcasting this live out all over the country. And, of course, all of you, thanks for coming. We're done. Thank you. Good job. Yeah, well done. Sorry, I took a